We're going to read uh, the Bible just now, uh, Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. So uh, page 1132, if you've got a pew Bible, read, remembering that this is God's Word. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We trust that God will bless His Word to us. There was once a poor man who all his life wanted to go on a cruise. He dreamt of spending a week on a large ocean-going liner, enjoying the fresh air and relaxing in a luxurious environment. So he saved for years and years. And finally, he got enough money together to purchase a ticket for the cruise. He was so thrilled he could hardly believe it. And knowing that he couldn't afford all the elegant food that was pictured in the brochure, he planned to bring his own food with him. And as he'd been living frugally for several years in order to save up for the cruise, he decided to bring along a week's supply of bread and jam. Well, the first few days of the cruise were thrilling. He enjoyed the cruise enormously. He ate his bread and jam alone in his cabin. Everybody else was eating in one of the many restaurants on board the ship, but he was content to eat alone. And every time he sat out on the deck, he saw the stewards passing with a huge meal that someone had ordered. Eventually, you know what happened, the bread got hard, it got a bit moldy, and it all just got too much for him. So he, he stopped one of the stewards 
carrying a well-laden tray and asked him, how can I get one of those meals? I'm dying for some decent food. Don't you have a ticket for the cruise? Asked the steward. Yes, he replied, but I've no money for that wonderful food. But sir, all meals are included with your ticket. You can eat as much as you like. Lots of Christians are like that man, aren't they? They don't realize what wonderful provision has been made for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Everything we need is freely given to us in Christ Jesus. He has paid for it all. Spiritually speaking, we don't need to live on bread and jam. And there's one word in the Bible that it uses to describe all the riches that we have in Christ. And it's that well-known word, grace. A magnificent word that's used more than 150 times in the New Testament to describe God's goodness and God's favor, which is bestowed on undeserving people. It's the word that occurs five times in the passage that Nigel read a few moments ago here in the second half of Romans 5. Verse 15, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the passage in verses 20 and 21, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And notice what Paul's saying in these verses, that the grace of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ, is free, it is triumphant, and it overflows. But what exactly do we mean by grace? It's a lovely word, and it's a lovely name. Some parents have called their daughters grace, and that's wonderful. Some have gone for the Greek word for grace, which is charis, and that's just as lovely. But an easy way to remember what grace means is simply uh, to take the letters of the word, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's undeserved favor. And some of the best hymns that we sing focus on the grace of God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. Great God of wonders, all thy ways are matchless, godlike, and divine, but the fair glories of thy grace, more godlike and unrivaled shine. Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. 
But for all that the Bible says about grace, and for all the times that we use grace in our hymns and our prayers and our sermons, there still remains a pretty poor and an impoverished understanding of grace among Christian people. Because we don't really live our Christian lives in the realm and in the atmosphere of grace. And the reason why many of us are unexcited about God's grace is because we don't really understand or we don't really believe how much we have received. Like the man on the cruise existing on bread and jam when every restaurant was open to him at no cost. We just haven't grasped the rich resources that are ours in Christ Jesus. Notice the language that Paul uses here in this passage. Verse 17, he talks about us having received God's abundant provision of grace. Verse 15 speaks about grace overflowing. Verse 20, about grace increasing. Verse 21, about grace reigning. And the language is expansive. The language is generous. The language is large and wide. There's nothing small, nothing restricted, nothing petty, nothing miserly about God's grace. It's abundant grace. It's grace that overflows. So many of you have probably been on the cruise, haven't you? A number of years ago, I got to go on a cruise. Uh, Thankfully, I was a guest of a group of pastors, and the pastor's cruise Uh, Their conference took place on a five-day cruise in the Caribbean, and it was magnificent. You could begin the day and watch the sun rise with donuts and coffee on deck. And then at breakfast time, you had the choice of a formal dining room breakfast where there was an extensive menu of kippers and eggs benedict, all the stuff you normally have at home every other day. Or you could go to the buffet where everything was on offer, cereal, porridge, or oatmeal, as the Americans call it, cold meat, cheese, bread, sausages, eggs, waffles, pancakes, fruit, tea, coffee, juice, the works. And then at 10 or 11, there was coffee and pastry. And at 12 noon, there's lunch. And another buffet with fried chicken or hamburgers or tacos and burritos and sandwiches and salads of every kind. Then there's afternoon tea with muffins, cake, cookies, then evening dinner, a full five or six courses in the dining room with formal dress, and then you can finish the day with supper on deck, and that's often a barbecue as well. And all the soft drinks are free, and the bread is freshly baked on board. It is unbelievably sumptuous and extravagant. And that's the sort of wild extravagance that we need to have in mind when we think about God's grace. It is literally God's riches. Everything you could wish for. Every spiritual blessing you've ever dreamed of is yours in Christ Jesus. God loves you completely and perfectly, and nothing you can do can make him love you anymore. And part of the reason why we have such a poor understanding of grace is because we don't realize what a pathetic condition we were in without God's grace. Most people, as you know, have a fairly positive and 
optimistic view of their own achievements. Um, and we all generally incline to have a, a pretty high opinion of ourselves. Uh, as a race, we think we've achieved an awful lot scientifically, materially, medically, technologically, financially. We've done so very well. As a race, we really think that we're quite amazing. But because we think material wealth is more important than moral character, we don't think that there's too much wrong with us. And many modern people think that in spite of their little peccadilloes, like drinking too much alcohol or gambling or driving too fast or telling white lies or sharp practices in business or a bit of pornographic reading or video material, basically at heart, we're really quite decent. They think God views them pretty much the same way as they view themselves. So they're complacent. They're unperturbed by their sin. And they think that God is the same. They have a pretty low value in terms of their own sin. They don't think it counts very much. And they don't think that God, and they think God thinks the same. Now, what Romans 5 says, and the point Paul's been making all the way through Romans, is that we are all participants in Adam's sin. We're guilty in God's sight, and our guilt places us under the condemnation of God. Verse 16, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Sin brings death. It brings condemnation. It brings judgment. And the simple fact is that our sin should take us all to hell forever. And not only do we dismiss our, our own sin as trivial and incidental, we also dismiss the punishment and the justice of God. Just because we're tolerant of sin in ourselves and in others, we think God should be the same. And the modern mindset, as you know, is dominated by this theme of tolerance. People should only be punished as a last resort. And we think God is just like us. He will only punish us if he really has to. And what we forget is that God is a holy God who has placed us in a moral universe where sin, wherever it occurs, attracts his condemnation and his wrath. And God would cease to be God if he would turn a blind eye to sin and to evil the holy judge of all this world must deal with sin. Those who break his law will be punished. And until you and I feel that truth about ourselves, until we see ourselves as sinners who are under the righteous and the holy and the just wrath of God, we will never understand God's grace. Friends, God has every right to send each one of us to a lost eternity forever. What we deserve as sons and daughters of Adam is death and judgment. And if we have come to know God in a personal way as our Savior and our Redeemer, then it's only because of his grace. There's another factor that prevents us from seeing the marvel of God's grace, 
And that's our belief that we can somehow or other save ourselves. The old pagan idea was that if a person brought enough gifts, brought enough presents, brought enough sacrifices to their God, then his wrath and his anger might be averted. That's what many ancient pagans and what some modern pagans believe. They try to persuade God to be kind to them on the basis of their performance by living a good life, by keeping all the rules of their religion or their philosophy. They think they might do enough to achieve God's favor. And some who might call themselves Christian think if they try hard to live like Jesus Christ, and if they just keep the golden rule, then they have a fairly good chance of getting to heaven at the end. But the Bible teaches something quite different. You remember how Augustus' top lady put it in the old hymn, not the labors of my hand, can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. And that leads to the one clear, unavoidable conclusion. Thou must save, and thou alone. And many Christians seem to understand how that the righteousness of Christ imputed to them gives them a standing before God, but they revert quickly to a works-based salvation as they live their Christian lives. We think, well, somehow or other God saves me when I trust in him initially as my Savior, but from here on in, it's all up to me. Romans 3 verse 20 says clearly, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Not one of us has the ability to make ourselves right with God. It's totally beyond us. And the other thing to remember is this, that God is under no obligation to love us or to help us. He's not obliged to pity us or to pardon us. All we can claim from God is justice and fairness. But justice and fairness for us means certain condemnation. Some people object to God. That's not fair. That's not God. Okay, let God be just. Let God be fair. And all of us are damned forever. God didn't have to save us. And it's when we begin to put this whole picture together, our sinful ways, our certain condemnation, our inability to save ourselves and God's sovereign freedom, we begin to see how marvelous God's grace really is. Our judge and our accuser has become our savior. Don't ever treat that lightly. Don't dismiss it quickly or thoughtlessly. We deserved nothing but nothing from God. But because of Christ, he has given us everything. So what does Paul say here? about God's grace in Romans 5. He says it's because of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus that we are justified. Verse 16, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. In the previous verse, Paul has described the gift as the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. And it's that gift of grace 
justification, which has overflowed to the many. In verse 16, the great contrast is between condemnation on the one hand and justification on the other. Because of Adam's sin, we're all condemned. In God's sight, we're guilty as charged. We're subject and liable to the penalty that his law prescribes. We're liable to death. But because of Christ's obedience, God justifies us. He declares that we're righteous. The fact is, we're sinners. But in God's sight, because of Jesus, it's just as if we had never sinned. Here's the simplest illustration I know. So here's us, and there's God. And between us and God comes our sin. And that sin which is ours attracts God's judgment. But what God has done is he has transferred our sin to Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So whose sins were laid on Jesus? My sins. Your sins. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. So if my sin has gone to Christ, this hand now is free. Free from guilt. Free from sin. Open and clean in God's sight. Now, why should you and I ever be walking around with this big burden of guilt weighing us down? Why should we be sucked down into the quicksand of despair and depression and hopelessness? In Christ, we've been justified. All the guilt, all the condemnation, all the sin has gone forever. And it's nothing to do with you. And it's nothing to do with me. Nothing compelled God to act in this way toward us. There was nothing in us that attracted God's love. God did it solely and exclusively because of his grace. Some of us have been guilty of committing horrible, nasty, selfish little sins. Others of us have traveled the clean side of the road but all of us, whatever the kind of life we're living or have lived, at some time or another, are afflicted by guilt. And it's when we struggle with that crushing, suffocating emotion that we remind ourselves of God's grace in Christ. Because of grace, I'm right with God. It's not got to do with me or my performance it's all because of the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. And when we think about it, our hearts should be bursting with joy and with gratitude and with praise. Because you and I were on death row. We were in the condemned cell. We were facing the executioner. Our lives were over. Our lives were finished. But the pardon has come. And Jesus has gone to the gallows in our place.
and we're escorted to the front gate of the prison and we're set free. And what did we do to earn that freedom? Absolutely nothing. It is all of grace. So because of grace, we're justified. The second thing Paul says here is, because of grace through Christ, we have life. Verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. So the contrast here is not between condemnation and justification. It's between life and death. Verse 17 says, because of grace, we reign in life. Because of Adam's sin, death came to all men. Back in verse 14, Paul uh, talks about death reigning. And we know that this world is a place of sadness, a place of cemeteries because of sin. But Christ has reversed all that. And more than reversing the effects of sin, he carries us beyond it. I have come, he says, so that you might have life, life in all its fullness. And in Adam, death was our king. We were subject to its totalitarian tyranny. But Christ has not only brought us from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life, he has delivered us from the kingdom of death. And instead of being subjects, we are now kings with Christ and we reign in life. We share in the kingship of Christ. Death is under our feet And one day, it will be destroyed forever. So many people are living under the fear and the tyranny of death. They're afraid to get old, and they're afraid to look old. Some get bouts of depression, I hear, when they reach 30. Some when they reach 40. Some when they reach 50. And they even get depressed when their spouses become 30 or 40 or 50. They think that because you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, and I'm beyond all that, and now 80, that you can't really live. More than that, nearly everything that this world offers us and entices us with is life-sapping. It's life-destroying. The so-called pleasures, the so-called entertainments of this world kill true life. They sap its energy. They leave us feeling empty and washed up and frustrated. But Christ gives life. Yet we Christians live as though Christianity was the most boring, the most depressing, the most inhibited life possible. We are such poor specimens with our joyless lives, our mournful faces, our negative and critical thoughts. And because of the abundant provision of grace, we are reigning in life. No longer controlled, no longer mastered by death, no longer afraid that it will bite us at any moment. Life and the king of life are ours. And we're reigning in life, why? Because of God's grace. There we were nibbling our dried-up bread and jam in our cabins, not realizing that there were restaurants of every kind full of rich and tasty and sumptuous food. And Christ says to us, look, it's all yours to enjoy. Eat your fill. One final thought. 
Grace justifies. Grace brings life. And the grace that comes to us through Christ is invincible. Verse 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we can't do justice to that verse in the couple of minutes. But let me say this. While grace offers us so much, and while Christ offers us so much, we might still think that at the end of the day, sin will somehow be allowed to snatch God's gifts out of our hands. And we can begin to worry, what if I sin? What if I mess up? What if Satan manages to ensnare me and to mislead me? What if I stumble and fall in the Christian race? Will I lose it all? Well, if I were talking about grace in human terms, then it might be possible to lose it and to mess it up. Someone could be extremely kind and generous to you, but if you offend them, they could take it all back. Every gift could be withdrawn. But we're not talking about human grace, my grace or your grace. It's the grace of God which is reigning. And when God extends his grace, nothing, not even sin, can oppose it or destroy it. And even in those situations where sin increases, God's grace just overflows. Nothing can stand against God's grace. It is invincible grace. And that means that you and I should be in no doubt about our future. God's grace will never fail us. It will never frustrate us. It will never let us go. Nothing will prevent God's grace from triumphing in our lives. And that causes some people to ask the question that Paul addresses at the beginning of the next chapter. Who's up next to preach on Romans? Probably you. Okay, Nigel will answer this one next week in chapter 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And that's why Paul can go on to expand on the triumph of grace as he moves towards the end of chapter 8. Through Christ you and I have gained permanent access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And standing in that grace, nothing can move us. Another hymn from Top Lady, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. The final verse goes like this. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure. As sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. If grace is invincible, nothing can erase it, nothing can wipe it out, it's there forever. And for the reign of grace, there is no defeat because it is triumphant grace. Over a thousand tongues to sing. 
my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. You know the next line? The triumphs of his grace. May God's grace triumph in all our lives. Let's pray.